Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing how the universe is designed to help us heal, grow, and adapt. We're going to explore a bit of the physics of the universe in very practical ways that we can remove filters, which are thoughts, feelings, and other reactions that keep us weaving the same old patterns in our lives. My guest today is Sky Nelson Isaacs. Sky Nelson Isaacs is a theoretical physicist, speaker, author, and musician. He has a master's degree in physics from San Francisco State University with a thesis in string theory. He also has a BS in physics from UC Berkeley. He has dedicated his life to finding his own sense of purpose, beginning as a student of the yogic master Sri Swami Satchidananda when he was less than five years old. Sky Nelson Isaac's most recent research has been published in the scientific journal Quantum Reports. An educator with nine years of classroom experience, Sky is also a multi-instrumentalist and professional performer of award-winning original musical compositions. He's the author of several books, including the book we're going to be discussing today, Leap to Wholeness. His website is synchronicityinstitute.com dot com synchronicityinstitute.com there's another website for coursework that he offers online available for free for members of his newsletter livinginflowcourse.com livinginflowcourse.com he is active on social media at facebook and instagram at sky nelson isaacs welcome to the yoga hour sky nelson isaacs Thank you, Laurel. It's so great to be on the show. Before we dive into our dialogue about wholeness and how the world supports our growth, let's begin as we mean to go on. Let's begin with a moment of just being right here, right now, a yoga moment. So let's begin by bringing our attention to our body in space, just feeling our body, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking or driving, just being right here, right now, feeling our feet, feeling our weight in the chair for sitting, and then bringing our attention to the breath wonderful tool that's always with us. And just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on that exhale, feeling how the air is now warmed from passing through our body. And staying with the breath, staying right here, right now. Here's something to contemplate. From Yogacharya O'Brien, the Yogacharya, the Yoga Hours founder and spiritual director from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. We do not have to concern ourselves with being holy or happy. We only have to look for the mental barriers we have constructed that cover our radiant self. Mm. Release them. Wholeness and happiness are naturally revealed. Discovering the sacred in our life requires fresh eyes, seeing things as they are, and not as we think, want, or assume them to be. The ability to transform our lives and our relationships is contained in something as simple as the way we perceive. 
Discovering the sacred in our life requires fresh eyes, seeing things as they are and not as we think, want, or assume them to be. The ability to transform our lives and our relationships is contained in something as simple as the way we perceive. That's wonderful. Om. Thank you, Sky. Yes, I couldn't believe when I found that quote from Yogacharya O'Brien, actually, I just thought it was so perfect for our conversation. So once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm really delighted to have you as a guest on the show to talk about your book, Leap to Wholeness, how the world is programmed to help us grow, heal, and adapt. So let's start there. What led you to write this book at this time? Hmm. Well, I wrote my first book, Living in Flow, as a um, expression of things I've thought about for decades, you know, philosophizing as a teenager. These are the things I thought about. I grew up in such an anonymous community, you know, wider community and um, network and <clears throat> had really taken in a lot of the teachings of, you know, really the idea that everything is a reflection of, of what's going on inside of us. That's really stuck with me. And I've I published a paper in 2020 on essentially the physics of space and time and, and the travel of light through space and how it's not just something that can be seen as piece by piece or like step by step, but actually as a whole. Mm -hmm. The travel of light from the stars to our eyes is actually one discrete jump in, in one way of looking at it. Mm. And so instead of looking at everything as dis discrete, uh, uh, describable in little pieces there are certain things namely light that has to be that can also be described as a entire thing as a whole which is reflects a lot of the spiritual traditions that i studied including yoga yeah that's so great. And I wanted to, to take a moment to talk about the subtitle of your book, which is how the world is programmed to help us grow, heal and adapt, which reminds me of a saying from Roy Eugene Davis. Roy Eugene Davis was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, a, a Western yogi. And he was a spiritual teacher of my teacher, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Mr. Davis frequently said, an enlivening power is nurturing the universe and we can learn to cooperate with it. There's also another saying from Mahatma Gandhi, there is a force in the universe, which if we permit it, will flow through us and produce miraculous results. Your subtitle really, really reminded me of both of those sayings. So let's start with the question, how is it that uh, the world is programmed to help us grow, heal and adapt? One of my favorite concepts to to struggle with, really, in um, Vedanta, ancient you know Indian yogic philosophy, is Maya, mm -hmm. the nature of illusion. And I've, um, as a very mental, heady person, noticed the types of interpretations I make of the world, of situations that happen to me, and really questioned you know, what is what is this layer of Maya. What is it that keeps me from seeing something deeper? And I gradually started to see synchronicity as uh, a real tool to understand what's going on underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. Like what's my first impression of a situation and then what maybe actually a deeper possibility. So, you know, someone asked me um, to play me. I'm a musician. So they asked me to play music for something. And I, I think it's, too too big of an event for me and i say no i can't do that i'm, I'm nervous about it um but then i see it as a synchronicity and i realize when i show up in these situations usually it works out quite well there's situations that happen that work out well so an example would be for halloween two years ago my cousin uh, invited me to to be a substitute for his band for a halloween party and this is like you know 100 people dressed up in costume having you know party and I'm going to be a solo piano player, right? Wow. Like, not my comfort zone. Right. Um, but 
it was part of a string of synchronicities of the same type of thing, the invitation to play and to trust myself and my instincts on that. And I, I showed up, I showed up at the house and I was like, this is insane. There's people like pouring out the door and I'm not going to be able to do anything here. <laughs> but I, instead of turning around and driving home, which was my temptation, <laughs> I walked in the door and I went to the bathroom and I just closed the door and decompressed from it and just checked, checked all my tools, some of the ones we'll talk about today. And uh, got clear on, I wanted to trust the situation if I could. And I walk out the door of the bathroom and the first person I see is a friend from middle school <laughs> that I had no idea was connected to my cousin. Right. So suddenly, and, and a friend of his was there that I know. So suddenly I'm in the presence of friends. Mm-hmm. My whole inner mindset shifted and I, I went for it and I played piano that night and it was a great experience. Yeah. So that layer of Maya, um, I see synchronicity as a feedback loop. You know, there's a lot of broken feedback mechanisms in our world today, where we are consumers of materials in the, in the, that affect the environment and we don't even know it. We are um, electing people who don't necessarily th- consider us as the primary stakeholders, but rather the people that are donating to them. So the needs of the people don't always get reflected in the, the politics. There's just so many ways in which we have broken feedback loops. And synchronicity serves as a, uh, a feedback loop to show us the deeper level, what's going on underneath that layer of Maya. Mm-hmm. For those listeners who are listening and maybe wondering uh, what your book or physics in general has to do with yoga, I, I did want to just mention that what attracted me to your book was this question of wholeness. And that relates to the root meaning of the Sanskrit word yoga, which means oneness or union. Yoga philosophy looks at the world as one, as having an inherent wholeness, and looks at each of us also as having that inherent wholeness. So I found your book to be a really interesting view of this, this wholeness, from the perspective of physics, uh, an area that I'm not as familiar with as the biological sciences. So I wanted to to ask you um, about this question that you pose very early in the book. Um, You begin the book, I think the first a question that you have in the book is how do you get something out of nothing and you point out that that led to the theory of the big bang and then you point out but this is not but but is this the only question we can ask and you change it to a different question how do we get something from everything and to me that was a really fascinating question how do we get something from everything so would you say more about that and how it relates to the wholeness of the universe yeah it's thank you for bringing that up so in physics and quantum mechanics the the basic foundation of of the theory is this relationship between what we take for granted in classical physics as separate things position the position of an object in space the nature of space and the momentum how fast it's moving or what's the change like. And these are related in physics by what's called a Fourier transform. And I got interested in the Fourier transform when I was a kid because it's how you take music and decompose it into its frequency spectrum. And I I love to record in high school and play all kinds of games with like graphic equalizers. And so you can do amazing stuff. You can take a sound that has um, a ringing in it the whole time, like a background fan was playing during your recording session. And so the whole the whole sound file has this ringing of some sound. Go into the frequency domain, you, you convert it to a, with a, a Fourier transform, and you can see that one sound as a position in space, a single position. So you've changed the, the, t- the, the extended time thing into a single position. And mm. then you erase it with an eraser tool on the computer. Wow. And then you convert it back to, to, to time and it's gone. So this is oh. one to all or holistic relationship between one point in data point in space or in frequencies and the resulting effect. So what that led me to think about was this question of what is the Fourier transform? How does it work? If it's a foundation really of space and time in a way, and that's what my, my physics work shows is that this is actually much more important than, than we realize. There's these two um, cooperative spaces, the space-time domain and the frequency version of that. They're complementary. You can't observe them at the same time, but they interact with each other. They relate to each other. And what's important about it is that 
a single point to get a single particle to exist in space, you need an infinite amount of frequencies. And this is just the relationship of the, the Fourier transform. Mm. If you want an infinite number of particles, you'd use one frequency. So it's an inverse uh. relationship. Huh. So this question arose for me of like, starting from nothing to create everything is the standard view of things. We start with a void, but a void has every frequency present. You, to get a void is actually much, much more difficult than any than something. It's much harder to get nothing than it is to start with everything. So the natural starting point is is an infinity of all these possibilities. Right. Which is what the multiverse theory says. There's all these possible timelines that we could be on and could get on. And the question then becomes: In our lives, we start with all these possibilities: who we could be, what we could choose. And life for me has become uh, a path of how do I choose? Because every choice is carving away from this grand tree of possibilities, making a smaller tree. Some options are now off the table because I didn't go to this school or I didn't marry this person or I didn't pursue this dream or I did. Mm -hmm. and, and other right. options are, you know, it's we're, we're carving away through a tree and it's always getting smaller and smaller behind us but it's always infinitely expanding in front of us. Yeah. Options. I just think that is so there's a, as I've thought about it, as I've kind of read the book and been thinking about things um, <clears throat> to me, that's a really, um, I don't know, hopeful place. You write in the book. If I ask myself, how do I get something from everything within a tense interaction? I find myself navigating it differently. I find myself focused on adapting to the flow of the situation, chiseling away what is unnecessary to find the solution that already exists. This is the part that I just love because everything's there, right? <clears throat> so a solution is there. <laughs> Would you say more about that? Yeah, a great example of this is I was working, I lived in a house in Santa Rosa and we had to do a, a a small construction project on the wall because we found some low levels of mold in the wall and wanted to take care of it. Um, but in the process of doing that, we I, I noticed a pattern of my own, which I won't get into, but I miscommunicated with the contractor. And um, he he put, you know, he, he did a treatment that we didn't want him to do. Mm. And when I came home from that day and I realized what had happened, it turned into a three months of really difficult, one of the most difficult experiences I've had of like, how do we solve this problem that is making our house uninhabitable? And after a, a long period of time, you know, about three months, I, I, at one point I just sat down in the middle of my floor at like 11 o'clock at night and said, this isn't working. <laughs> Whatever I'm doing is not working. So I need to, I'm willing to do, I, I had tears and emotions and I was willing to consider something new, right? Um, there's all these possibilities for how this project could have gone. And we ended up like way over here. <laughs> like, I know that there's still a solution where it works out. How do I get there? How do I get to that branch? There's always a way from where we are to, to, to various outcomes that we're seeking, not necessarily physical conditions that we, that we wanted before those might've like not been possible anymore, but some resolution, some healing, there's always a way. Yeah. And I sat down and I, within two minutes of just really letting go and considering that I don't know how to do this. And an answer came to me. I looked at my situation. I realized that the contractor was not giving us the plans for, to work with someone else. If we wanted to move on to a different contractor, he wouldn't give us the, the permit, but he was asking for something that I wasn't willing to give him, which was an assurance that we wouldn't pursue him legally, you know, in the future and all that. And, that, and I realized I was withholding something and there was something I could do, which was to not withhold. Mm. So I wrote him a brief email, said, we will let you off the hook. You know, you've done your best and we would like the permit. And that worked. I got the permit. We moved mm -hmm. forward with a different person. Within about two or three weeks, we were on the track to solve the problem. <laughs> so it wasn't just one event. It was like a continuation of that process of like, I don't know how to handle this myself. I know that there's an outcome that I can reach. Yeah. What would I do in this moment to get there? Yeah. 
it was a um, an illustration when you write about it and the example you just gave is an illustration of the multiverse which i just i don't know it brought it home for me in a new way which i i was very i was pretty thrilled to you know to have that that thought and that way of thinking <clears throat> Yeah, it's, it's beautiful how the physics actually, you can visualize it and it, it helps you consider your options. Yeah, absolutely. You've already mentioned kind of at a distance this, but I wanted to dive in more about this idea of reductionism, which I was very interested that you you, you write about this. You, you define this, which I loved very simply, um, as the idea that big things are made from little things. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody can relate to that. Big things Obvious, are made right? from little things, right? <laughs> um, and as you point out, reductionism shows up in biology when we reduce living creatures to the cells that they're made up of, which, again, as you point out, leads to a philosophy of materialism in which everything is reduced to interacting particles and meaningfulness is denied. This approach was so familiar to me from my years of, of um, medical training. I'm a, a Western trained physician um, and practice within the system, you know, that looked at at a body just kind of as made, made up of these cells. But it was always an inherently frustrating for me because I started out before I went to medical school, I got a master's in holistic health. And so the whole person always seemed more to me than than just the sum you know, of their cells. However, as you point out, that reductionism has served us very well in advancing technology. So we don't want to get rid of that, um, including in biomedicine with, a, you know, there's so much progress and uh, we understand at such a deep level now the different processes, cellular processes that have resulted in um, a, a you know plethora of new medications new approaches all these kind of things so you point out reductionism we need it we can't get rid of it mm -hmm. but you also then point to how there's this other way of looking from holism so first would you talk about how the reductionist view of the world is beginning to open up to the view of as you write seeing how things work together in mutual dependency and you also write central to this new area, new era in science is a new understanding of wholeness. That's probably a big question. But <laughs> how would you? It's, great. How would it's really respond? aligned with with how I think about this. Um, so just as a foundation, the idea that I talked about earlier of you know the wave particle concept in physics, which I was describing as space and momentum as these complementary variables. Um, it, it's what's called complementarity. And what's amazing about complementarity, what makes it stand out as a new principle um, that Niels Bohr gave voice to, is that these are not um, not exclusive of each other. There's two different ways of looking at the same situation that describe different um, ways of understanding it, whether it behaves as a wave of possibilities or as a single particle, a single observation that is discrete. Um, these are not exclusive of each other. They're both true in different contexts. So that's, I appreciate that you pointed out that reductionism is not wrong, yeah. but it's not the only perspective. You can look at things also, some things holistically. And light being a great example, light really does take eight minutes to get from the sun to the earth from our perspective. And you can put a satellite halfway to, this, to the sun and it'll receive the light four minutes after instead of eight minutes because right? it's halfway. But also from the theoretical perspective, light doesn't actually travel between the stars smoothly. It's not like a, a freight train that's moving from point to point. It's it's a um, quantum system that exists as a whole. Mm. And what's what's important about these whole systems is that the end determines the beginning. Mm. The context is important. So how you measure the, the system at the end determines what path it seems to have taken along the way. That's right. pretty, pretty well understood in, in quantum physics. Which is such a fascinating idea. You know, it's because like the observer and how we do the observation then results in, you know, what the measurement shows up, right? I mean, yeah, it's... but it's not, it's not foreign to us, which is what's really interesting. In language, if I say the sentence, language is retroactive in this way. If I say the sentence, um, the old train left the station, 
probably thinking of an uh, an ancient locomotive that is traveling out of a train station. But if I say the old train, the young, then you're thinking the old, elder, the, the elders educate our youth. Mm -hmm. The old train, the young, right? So the the end of the sentence determines what the beginning means. <laughs> That's right, all the time. It's a great yeah. analogy for what's happening in physics, this tree of possibilities, how you interact at the end point determines what everything meant along the way, how it unfolded. And even, even the actual physical circumstances can be um, chosen essentially at the end. Mm -hmm. And that's, mm -hmm. how, that's how, in my mind, synchronicity works. There's this whole world of unknown possibilities around us. And when we make a choice in the moment, we're choosing also a history around us that mm. matches our choice. Mm. kind of mind-bending that way <laughs> so the, <laughs> why that's important this. is because it, it it speaks to this notion of the whole thing matters right it's right. not just causal from beginning to end the whole the whole system matters mm -hmm. and uh synchronicity is something that i think is like the world responding as a whole to us we might have a, a breakup in a, one relationship but find that another relationship <clears throat> unfolds in a way that actually teaches us something relevant about that right so there's this connection a causal right it's not they're not actually talking to each other these people but they're they're what we're doing is is correlated between the relationships right so we're learning from the system right and uh, a holistic system there are there are lots of examples of this like in physics we've got holograms which we'll get to i think in a little bit mm -hmm. where you've got these different angles you can look at the system and get different perspectives on a on a picture that just is a flat picture, but it has these different 3D pictures. Um, we talked about music, but also groups of people are like this, whether it's politics or I've got a men's circle I'm part of. And what's what's amazing about people is that there's all these inputs, right? A, a holistic system has lots of inputs and it's not always clear what the output's going to be. Right. So you can say you think you're being nice and helpful to somebody. But there's a context for them that's very different from what your con context is. That's influencing the whole system, and so the output you get is they're ir they're irritated irritated at you for offering to help. You're like, well, why did that happen? That's right. Surprise. So holistic systems really rely on this whole context, and the physics of that is like this whole universe that we're in is bigger than just us and responding to us in uh, ways that are diverse and unpredictable. I want to go back to that that quote just for a minute because you talk about um, in um, <clears throat> reductionism, part of it that part of that quote was meaningfulness is denied. Right. And this idea of meaning, I think, really permeates your work. So I, I did want to take a you know a, a a minute to ask about that. What did you mean when you say meaningfulness is denied in reductionism? Yes. Yeah, so if if holistic systems like relationships are counting on a, the context of a situation, not just the direct causal relationships. Like, where is, how's that person feeling today? What have they just been dealing with in their life? That's all gonna affect the way that we relate. Um, the meaningfulness is in that whole context in the whole system. And the synchronicity might show up like, you get handed a newspaper that has important information on it, or you get offered coffee and it sort of soothes the mood or something. And, you know, the, the external circumstances can change spontaneously to change the meaning or the feeling of the situation. Right. And that's that's one of the important aspects of synchronicity. It's like helping from, from some external source in the system, some other part of the system, bringing us information that's useful to us in the, in the moment mm -hmm. to help the meaning unfold in a, in a certain way. And when we, meaning is about relationships. That, that's the main relationship. Uh, definition right the meaning of a situation has to do with what my relationship is to it or to you and uh, how we think about our life situation really can influence what sorts of branches of possibility we're able to access what meaning we give to a to a scenario matters uh, i'll just give a brief example which is current for me i just got back from burning man this past week and there was numerous opportunities to 
uh, interpreted as a negative experience with the weather that happened. We had a lot of rain, some rain, not a lot, but some rain and muddy conditions. And those opportunities to see the bigger picture of this, the, the what was what was happening and not get caught up in like worst case scenario thinking or um, you know negative self-reflection and I ended up working together with my team a lot and had a wonderful experience of growth and healing mm-hmm. socially so mm-hmm. that choice of how what kind of meaning I ascribe to it looking at the context of my life and what I'm learning in my life really helped me set a, a path that worked for me mm-hmm. See? And that, and I'll just say that that is <clears throat> something that those can those connections are not acknowledged in Western science, right? Mm-hmm. There's no relationship between the external condition of the weather and the muddy feet and the internal condition of this is actually helping me expand my capacity for community. Mm-hmm. Those, are un, those are typically thought of completely unrelated, and that's up to us to make the connection. But I think that right. they are holistically related. Right. And that's what I think you point out in the book over and over again is that, you know, holism has these um, possibilities kind of encoded in it. At least that's what I took, you know, from it. And that um, this idea of meaning um, becomes then uh, crucial of, of um, as you have been pointing out, the context, the context in which something happens m- matters. It's not just uh, a system is not just the sum of its parts. It has something greater that um, that that is a is a uh, um, intrinsic property of uh, of a system of something that's holistic. Did I get that right? Absolutely, you said it better <laughs> than me. <laughs> <laughs> so you write holism, which can be thought of as top down thinking, describes a system whose whole is greater than the sum of its parts. A system that has qualities that depend on its entire configuration. You just gave a great example of your your time at Burning Man. And I wanted to touch on this hologram though. Would you explain how a hologram helps us understand the world existing as wholeness? Well, a hologram is like a photograph, but it's not. (laughs) With a photograph, you take a lens and you bend the light coming through that comes from some source, some scene, you bend it to make it into a point. So every every point on the scene becomes a point on the picture. You get a one-to-one relationship between what you're taking a picture of and the photograph. If you remove the, hol- the lens and you set up the conditions just right in various ways, you get a hologram, mm. which is a direct imprint of the light coming from the scene, mm. which is completely unintelligible because you have no way to focus. You're not focusing it into a, discernible image you just get a wash of of light but if you do it with a single laser you know the coherent light and all these conditions what you see is it's not actually just a wash it's an interference pattern of light on the on the film and it's much like looking at the surface of a lake when it's starting to rain Mm -hmm. little craters of water disturbances moving outward from each point so you look at this you, you develop the photograph which is just a hologram now and you you look at it and you can't make anything out of it but when you shine light through it of the original type you suddenly see the image that was originally there because you're bending the light in exactly the same way that it was originally bent by the scene itself so you're recreating an image of the scene so in this flat hologram is this impression of a three-dimensional object which mm-hmm. encodes here's the key it encodes all of the possible angles that you could see it from mm. because you didn't take those away by using a, a lens. You know, you, you maintain the wholeness of the light structure so that when you recreate it, the wholeness is still there. And every angle you move your head, it's like looking through a window. You see it, you know, you could block half the hologram and you just, it's as if there's a piece of wood there in the way, a wall, but you can look and see every angle. So a hologram encodes all the perspectives, all the possible perspectives. A lot of our lifetime is spent using a lens to perceive one angle of a situation. And that's what we think is real. Mm-hmm. So we read the news and we say, oh, this is a bad news article. Bad news. Or, this is good news. And somebody else with a different lens is looking at it and going, this is good news. Or, this is right. bad news. The opposite, you know, mm-hmm. same information. And it's about which angle we've, we've decided to look through the world at 
a right. hologram has all those angles possible. Mm. So hologram still has the ability to move from this side to that side. And I think that's a great illustration of how we can recognize that we have a lens, a filter, a, a set of context and, and beliefs that, that influence how we perceive the world. And we can learn that we can have faith that there are other other perspectives possible. It does take faith to just when you're so certain to know that there is something, some other way to see it. Right. Uh, marriage is a great example. You know, you live with someone and there's a right way to toast the toast and you, you like, there can't be another way. This is the right way to do it. <laughs> but you learn that there is another way. You know, maybe that person likes raw bread or something, you know, so your preferences, you, you, sometimes my mind is blown that there's another way to, to even want something to be. Right. And that's what the hologram analogy allows us to see. Right. You preserve the wholeness of the situation and able to change your filter through practices and see, you might want to keep your filter, but just know that there's another one possible and there's right. more compassion that comes from that. Right. Which relates directly for me back to the original question we were talking about, how do you get something from everything? You know, it, it, this, mm. it's the same thing that you're talking yeah. about. So as a reminder to our listeners today on the Yoga Hour, my guest is author Sky Nelson Isaacs who is a theoretical physicist, speaker, author, and musician. We are discussing his book, Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Heal, Grow, and Adapt. You can find out more about Sky Nelson Isaacs and his work at his website, synchronicityinstitute.com. There's another website for the coursework that he offers online, which is available for free for members of his newsletter. That uh, website is livinginflowcourse.com. We will <clears throat> also have these uh, links on our website at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website at theyogahour.com, where you can sign up for our mailing list. <clears throat> Sky, getting back to the book, there was a diagram that um, that I really, uh, I guess, maybe enjoyed is not the right word, but I definitely could see how it had, um, you know, how it I had experienced it so often. I think it will be familiar to our listeners as well. Um, <clears throat> so I, I want to take a moment to describe it. So in step one, it's a, it's in a big circle with arrows leading from step to step and <clears throat> starts out with a, a person with a hidden feeling who has an experience. And then in step two, that person chooses to react unconsciously. Let's say just for an example here that someone gets triggered into anger by something that always makes them mad. <laughs> it could be something like someone cutting you off in traffic, or it could be a difficulty that you have with a particular person. I think all of us have had this experience, right? So you get triggered into anger. And step three, your action intensifies the dynamic. How often have we experienced this? <laughs> step four, your desire to heal is activated. So you'd like to not have that happen. You realize this is not was not a very adaptive response, so you want to do better. Step five, you anticipate circumstances that will heal. Step six, synchronicity, the chance to heal arises again, leading to step seven and removal from this repeat cycle, you choose differently. Would you describe, again, we've talked about this a little bit, but talk about synchronicity and how the world as your subtitle says, how the world is helping us learn and grow by repeatedly presenting us with the same type of circumstance. Yeah, I love that you picked out that cycle. Um, and the, the step five is, I think, the key piece where we anticipate that some circumstance will happen, which is going to bring us another opportunity to try this again. And what is important is to realize that that's not necessarily going to be a good experience. <laughs> Right? That's right we're trying to change a pattern something's yeah. going to come up that triggers us <clears throat> and, and seeing that trigger through this perspective of this is here to help me not be triggered by this anymore if i can find a different way to relate to it so synchronicity is not a positive serendipitous occurrence it's a neutral thing that's helping us see ourselves as a reflection of us so that, that's a key point that i like to make sure that people can take away because when you get stuck in life and you're you're dealing with difficult circumstances it's hard to see everything as synchronicity but i i do i see everything as a synchronicity 
Mm. And, and when we can see life that way, this depersonalize the conflicts or the interactions. Mm. And by that, I mean, hold people accountable for their part, but don't think of it as a personal relationship problem. Think right. of it as, this is the feedback I'm getting from life right now. For me, what's the takeaway for me? If this person wasn't even here and I was just getting this information, then everything can be a synchronicity, which helps us see ourselves in relationship. So the example that comes to mind, there's a couple. Um, I like to notice the filters that I, I see the world through. I think that's really valuable. And the way that this is the way they change, right? Through repeated experience. And I had one recently where um, I wanted to write to a friend and say, you know, every time I communicate with you, it seems like I get it wrong. Mm. And, you know, I feel a little nervous to communicate with you. And I paused. This is a moment where I've had this a lot where I, you know, I do it wrong. I try to correct it. I try to guess what people want to hear or how I want it, how I should say it. And I paused and this is a chance to step out of that cycle, right? To have this recurring experience that I do something different. And for me in this moment, not responding was a different cycle. Right. Because I, I sort of started to see that if I if I told this person that it was I, I felt like I always got their communication wrong, would actually be telling them that their communication with me was wrong. Mm. There was this mutual, you know, unfolding of distrust or something. So I was able to just not respond at all and not hold on to the charge. And that actually felt like stepping out of the cycle. Right. Yeah. And you know, another example for me is this sense that um I've always had the feeling that I haven't done enough. My my music is not good enough. The song is not complete. It's not perfected yet. The, you know, I need to tell, like in this case, another story. Here we are. <laughs> but the sense that that's a filter for me, I can say, uh, I haven't done enough. I need, I need to do more. That's the statement in my head. And I get, I get opportunities to to do to go further and add more or try harder and they, they keep coming up and each of those moments is a chance for me to say ah maybe this is enough i can wait here for some feedback and see what what the response is from the people i'm with mm -hmm. so part of that that you're describing is understanding filters um what they are, where they come from, and how they can distort our perception of reality. So would you give an overview of that for our listeners? And then I want to ask you about how can, how can we work? How do we work with them to get ourselves to stop repeating our same our same uh, issues, the same places that we're stuck? Well, I did this on purpose, not really, but I just did a filter of mine, which I named for you, which is telling another story because there's a, a running thing in my head, like I need to do more. So you saw me actually live out one of my patterns in the moment. <laughs> and I've done enough work with this that I'm aware of that story. Right. So when, when it just happened, I immediately was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm acting out what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> so the way that I, I work with filters, getting at the filter, the fact, the reason I know that filter for myself, and again, the filter is, I see everything that happens to me and everything I do through this meaningful lens of, am I doing enough to solve this problem? Mm. Am I doing enough to convey this information? And underneath that, there's something else, which is like some feeling of not feeling connected, mm -hmm. not, not trusting the relationships that I'm in. And so the way that I've discovered that one and the way that I help people discover whatever their filters are, there are many of them for each of us, is looking at a, a situation of tension in your life. It could be just an interaction you just had with somebody or a big thing about choosing a life path. And you notice the thoughts. That's maybe the easiest. What are you thinking about the situation? You notice the feelings. What are the emotions that are making my body feel tense or whatever I'm feeling, whether it's fear or um, anxiety or um, hope or mis distrust or, um, you know, there's a whole range of possible feelings we have. 
and then noticing the sensations in our body. So we're aligning the, the mind, the heart, and the, the body. And the, the body is a great um, tool to notice because it's in the physical world. So when I'm tense, I can step back and say, oh, I'm getting some signal or some trigger here that I'm feeling a, a, a reaction to. What are my thoughts? What are my feelings? What are the sensations? And those three come together into a, a basically a story that we have about whatever we're dealing with, right? Yeah. There's a story in our head, in our in our whole body. And that story is meaningful. And that's what we talked about meaning. So we're bringing all these concepts together. So whatever situation we're in, every situation gives us a story that we have about it. And from if we look at the thoughts, feelings, and emotions and body sensations, we can tease out what is the belief? What is the central belief I have about what's going on for me right now? And it's usually like five to 10 words, no longer than that. Mm. For me, it was, I have to do more. Mm. And I can't tell you how many times that comes up in, <laughs> in a week, I have to do more. It's so <laughs> central to my thinking that right. it really helps me to untangle right. my tension by noticing it. Well, there's so many things that I could say here from a yoga perspective. So, you know, one is that just the process that you just described is a process of self-study. And in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, that's one of the three key um, key practices of Kriya Yoga is that self-study process. So really just seeing what our patterns are. Um, the other thing is, is um, it reminded me of samskaras. Um, samskara is a repeated um, thought pattern the the uh, description that I read that was most meaningful to me is, you know, how a, a, a water streamlet will come down a hill and it will carve a little path. And so then the next time water comes along that hill, that path gets deeper and that path gets deeper and that path gets deeper. And so that, to me, that's sort of how um, the these uh, uh, rishis, you know, many, many thousands of years ago, you know, realized this about their own minds, you know, that this is what our minds do, that there are these repeating patterns. And what I love about what your work brings to it is this idea of, um, you know, of a hologram or of, you know, how do you get something from everything is there's all of these different possibilities. And the good news about the samskaras is they can also be positive samskaras that we can actually build ourselves to respond in a different way as we, you know, initially it's hard and then it gets easier and easier because we're changing the groove in our mind. We're changing that, you know, to be able to see our response first, that's the self-study part, and then to make a different choice to choose something different. Yes, it's so beautiful. And I think that's such a powerful part of that tr tradition. Mm -hmm. And um you know, what I, what I find to be really important about filters, you know, like there's a statement, right? Here's the filter. I need, I need to do more. I don't want to negate that. Like it's like putting a dam in front of that rivulet of water, like just forcing it some other direction because my mind knows it's, I'm very smart. You know, I, I know <laughs> I, I do need to do more. I'm just pretending that I don't, you know, <laughs> I still think I need to do more. So the opposite of I need to do more is not, I don't need to do more right. or I've done, it's not, I've done enough. Uh, I don't even know what it is at the moment, but I, I try to help people find a different, slightly different statement that captures the deeper truth of, I want people to feel like I've done enough, mm. might be a different statement. It doesn't negate the fact that I feel like I need to do more, but it does invite me into looking for feedback mm. or the deeper relationship that I'm seeking for wanting to do more. Right. You see that? Which only becomes possible, you know, if we if we recognize that filter, you know, and and do that do that self study. One of the things you write about in the book is self compassion. So, would you talk a little bit about self compassion and how it can be such a powerful tool towards our own wholeness? Uh, I mean, what can you say about self compassion? You just it's 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 the outcome of all this filtered practice of synchronicity. Every synchronicity has the opportunity to help us grow more compassionate with ourselves or to become harder on ourselves because synchronicities are going to show up, which make our life challenging. Um, I'm thinking of this time. I had a really difficult time in my twenties. I write about in the book where I, uh, I just had to throw up my hands in the air and, and start over. And I had a dream in this period of a month or so that I was really 
resetting my life. I had a dream of being in my childhood room, bedroom, banging my head against the wall. Mm. And this incredibly powerful takeaway was very simple from the, the whole experience was like, just that the sense that I need to do more is causing me to bang, bang my head against the wall. Right. And that's a choice. A different possibility is to say, maybe I have, maybe I've done all that I can in this direction. Maybe I need new information about a different way I could go. And that's what self-compassion has allowed me to do. Mm -hmm. When I've packed enough for the trip or I've done enough plans for the trip or I've um, studied enough for the tests or I've worked hard enough to please this person in a relationship, stepping back and trying something different, like being receptive to the feedback that we get, um, that requires self-compassion. It is so always so interesting to me how difficult that is, because um, when we listen to our own internal thought process, we find ourselves saying things to ourselves that we would never in a million years say to a loved one, you know, that came <laughs> to us with a similar problem, right? You know, we, yeah. we just give ourselves in, in some ways such a hard time. Because of those ruts. Right. <clears throat> so in, uh, um, in the book, uh, there's many different uh, tools that you outline. And I wanted to talk about vulnerability. Um, you, um, you talk about it as a tool for growth. And you cite Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability as uh, uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure. And you write, but vulnerability is not weakness. It is our most accurate measure of courage. You go on to say, vulnerability is powerful because it reflects the truth about our circumstance. The reality of life, if we can see past our filters, is that everything is uncertain. And you go on to talk about learning to deal with the vulnerability of allowing ourselves to feel what we feel and be honest about it. Um, at the same time, you write about what it means to understand our choices and, and choosing happiness. So would you share the exercise of choosing, not choosing to illustrate the idea of a way to deal with this normal uncertainty of life that there is? Mm, yeah, vulnerability has been really hard for me to embrace. It's taken me half a century. <laughs> I can almost say that. I'm almost there. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll speak to, for me right now, I'm dealing with some health constraints around um, a lot of tension in my body, like sy systemic tension. Like I'm allowing myself to feel some deep wounds and hurt from a long time ago and from recently too, in ways that are more visible. And it's taken me a lot of courage and, and strength building to be able to do, to, to really feel that tension from old relationships and um as a musician i remember when i was about 10 this gave me great confidence to learn how to move my fingers really fast on the piano i could do this like trill really fast and um i developed this coordination which was very performance oriented like i was able to do stuff with my body that was made people amazed you know and i leaned on that for social capital Mm. I got appreciation for that. I was liked for it. I felt like I had a purpose and a, a place to belong. And it was, it was in a sense, it was like overriding my body's natural desire to just shake and drop and flop around. Like that coordination was an added layer of control. Mm. And as I've dealt with some of these deeper emotions, I've lost some of that coordination. So mm. I, I can't do some of those, those piano stuff anymore. And uh, that's a whole process, you know, I won't go into, but you know, noticing the filters and how I feel and being honest with myself. And what's beautiful about it overall is that the, the visibility of my weakness, my, my lack of coordination, coordinate, coordination with my hands and my jaw are both affected. Has also, my life has been much more rich because some of these patterns of communicating and being, which were creating a, a protection for me have dropped away and i'm seen more i feel more seen in my life and more connected to my family and to my friends mm. so there's this real trade-off for me and uh, I've, I've wanted to be seen for a long time 
now I'm being seen and my body's like, here's what I look like. And it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but the feedback I'm getting, again, I'm not listening to my own mind about it. it's not pretty. I'm listening to the feedback I get, which is entirely positive. Mm. And when people notice my struggle, they're entirely welcoming of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting any judgment. So that took not only knowing that that would be possible, but trying it out and being vulnerable and seeing what the synchronistic feedback was and trusting that over my own head. Mm, absolutely. That's the choosing part, choosing. And did right. you say the not choosing at the exercise? Yeah. So what's important about the choosing, not choosing exercise is what's the feeling that goes along with each of those? What am I choosing right now? What am I feeling about that? I'm choosing to go to, let's just use a different example. It's on my mind. I'm choosing to pursue a certain job. How do I feel about it? Well, maybe I feel anxious and and, uh, discouraged because what I really want to do is take some time off. But I don't feel like I can do that because of the circumstances and the way I'm thinking of it. So what am I not choosing? Well, I'm not choosing to take some time off or to pursue, pursue something different. And what are the feelings with that? What's important is to get into the feelings and decide which feelings am I going to nourish here? Because mm. a few months from now, those are the feelings I'm going to be having based upon the choice that I make now. Right. So seeing how the choices turn into feelings later and feeling what those are now. So you make your choice from there. Mm. Really an interesting uh, way to approach things. I, I enjoyed it, which is why I wanted to bring forth for our listeners. And unbelievably, we're at the end of our time together. Mm-hmm. So in closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Well, I'll just repeat that everything is synchronicity. Mm-hmm. And it's there in some sense, not necessarily even to teach us a lesson, but to help us get to our better next spot. So sometimes the challenges that we face, like I just experienced a burning man with the mud, like it wasn't a lesson necessarily. It was just actually a way to get to a deeper place in community for myself. Mm -hmm. So look at the challenges you're facing with an eye to the whole system. What's the context here that could be bigger than I understand right now? Mm -hmm. That gives me some hope. Mm. Beautiful. I love that. What's the, you know, a bigger, a bigger context than I can see right now. I think that's such a great question. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, the host and producer of the show. My guest today has been author Sky Nelson Isaacs. He is author of the book we've been discussing today, Leap to Wholeness, How the World is Programmed to Help Us Heal, Grow, and Adapt. You can find out more about Sky Nelson Isaacs and his work at his website, synchronicityinstitute.com. This link will be on our um, website at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Sky Nelson Isaacs, for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you, Laurel. I really appreciate it. For listeners, we hope that you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. CSE has online meditation in the mornings at 6.30 a.m., That's Pacific time, the afternoon at 4, and Monday evenings at 7.30. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also a Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word, meaning a gathering of truth seekers. That happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. If you are enjoying this podcast, you should check out another podcast, the Kriya Yoga Today podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, which you can find at the CSE website, csecenter.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, you can find details about these um, programs at the Center for Spiritual Enlightened website, again, csecenter.org. What was that, Sky? One more thing. I, I really appreciated the questions. These are some of the best questions I've gotten on the book, and it just really meant a lot to me. Oh, that's so great. I love it. Thank you. For listeners, join us next time on The Yoga Hour, when I will be joined by Rizwan Virk to discuss lessons for modern seekers from the autobiography of a yogi. We will be discussing how universal principles such as karma, meditation, and yoga can be used to address issues and challenges of the present moment, such as the diversions of social media and the quick pace of contemporary life. Rizwan is great. We're we're colleagues. I I was going to mention that to you. I, I read about that in your book. 
The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and it's always helpful if you talk about it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you.